Hey everyone, I'm Brad, and this is Beyond the Big Red Truck Podcast. Episode two, the epic episode number two, where I actually have my first conversation with a real person, a real podcast, and not just me talking, telling you what this is going to be about. This is actually what it is. Uh, Today's episode, we have an amazing human and an amazing friend of mine, uh, Lionel Crowther. Lionel is a Winnipeg firefighter. He is a husband to Joanna, and he has three kids, two sons, one daughter. Lionel is an IAFF master instructor on fireground survival. He's a trainer for Petzl, the EXO escape system. He does some work with the Phoenix Society. Him and his wife, Joanna, do some work with the Phoenix Society, Uh, some peer support. Uh, It's called SOAR. Uh, he is trained in that. So you'll get more on that after or during the, when Lionel talks about it, I'll let him tell you about it. He's also an IFF 13th district coordinator for the IFF burn foundation. This conversation with Lionel, uh, talks about an incident that his department was involved in where, They go from, which all, you know, firefighters can relate to, they go from watching uh, Super Bowl on Sunday, kind of at shift change, and they get a kind of a structure fire call, a call box, and they go to the call. Lionel was not working. He got called in for it, and how his life changed from living his life the way he knew it to within five to 10 minutes, um, start to finish. They had two firefighters, two captains actually that didn't make it home that day. And other firefighters that suffered massive burns and injuries. And it's just an unbelievable story. And I'm so glad I get to sh- to help Lionel share his story. He shared it many times. I've heard it before, but I really felt that this is something that really needs to be shared for other firefighters to hear, and other people and families and the public, just to to let them know this is this is what it's like to be a firefighter. This is what it's really like, and it's not all about that one incident. It's what has come out of that incident for Lionel and his family. And he talks about the struggles and as they call it, surviving the survival. Not only do you survive the physical injuries, which he describes as possibly, you know, a little bit easier to deal with than the emotional injuries, the mental health issues, the relationship issues, 
the relationship with his family, how they are still affected and how he is still affected by what happened that day, but also how resilient they are, how he's turned, you know, turning his life around, helping other people, other burn survivors through the Phoenix Society, him and his wife, Joanna, go and do retreats for uh, burn survivors. So amazing, amazing people. I hope to maybe have Joanna and Lionel on together one day. But for now, we'll just uh, sit back and listen to the conversation with Lionel. It's mostly him talking about what uh, what happened that day and the results and what has happened now. And you know, like he said, it's 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 a it's a lifelong learning, and and he will be affected. Him and his family will be affected by what happened to him for the rest of their lives and how they're turning it around, how they're struggling, and how they're making it through their day-to-day lives. So without further ado, please stick through to the end because this is going to be something that everybody will get something out of, whether you're a spouse or a firefighter or just public or, you know, anyone else who is listening to this. It's an emotional, moving podcast, and I'm so excited that this is my episode number two. Looking forward to many more episodes, but let's get at it. Here we go. Our conversation with Lionel Crowther. All right, we are on. We are live. So how's it going, buddy? Good, man. Good. Ready to roll. Yeah, good. All right. Um, so we're talking today with a good buddy of mine, Lionel Crowther. Uh, Lionel is in Winnipeg. How? What's the weather like there, buddy? Surprisingly nice. Yeah, surprisingly nice. <laughs> is it? I'm, this, this, I'm assuming it's cold over there. Not bad. Like minus ten to minus thirteen. It's a uh, winter storm has passed, and I got a couple feet of snow again. So it's always wonderful in March <laughs> to have more snow. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, we we just had our winter storm last week too. Our one day of, uh, you know, we had about a foot. I would say, oh, just because of the amount, uh, it was just one big dump, and uh, yeah, it's gone. And it's uh, it's about zero today, and the sun is trying to come out. It was out this morning, nice sunrise, but uh, had a little nice walk on the river there with my sister. Oh. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we're uh, hopefully getting into spring here and we can get into our spring sports and our baseball season and all that. Um, yeah, so you, I just want to talk about a little bit about, uh, first of all, you know, just your family and um, you have your wife, Joanna, right? Yeah, yeah, Joanna, uh, we've been married now, be going on 19 years this uh this july so oh wow congrats buddy yeah yeah it's like a, a gift when you in the fire service get to hold on to one wife <laughs> yeah, no doubt. i know we have guys in our uh department that uh, you know it's not so much now but you know the the previous kind of regime there we had a couple guys with uh two or three marriages and after the you know the second one you're like oh okay and then the third one you're like what But, uh, yeah, I seem to be happy. So, no, that's good. Congrats, buddy. And then uh, you got three kids. 
two sons yeah, and my, one daughter. Yeah, my son Noah is fifteen. Nathan, he's thirteen, and Madison, our little girl, is uh, six. Nice. Right on. Uh, and they do they they play sports. So you were saying that uh, do both your kids play hockey? Then I would assume maybe in Winnipeg there. Actually, all three uh, played hockey. Now my middle son Nathan is taking the one year off. He's in uh, Air Cadets doing the flight program. So he wanted to try one year uh, without hockey, and then he does mountain bike racing, kids in mud. They call it here, and he does training in the winter on a bike downstairs. So it's our first year without him playing, but next year he wants to go back. So, so my older son is pretty active with sports, a little bit of everything, and then our little girl too. She's playing hockey and soccer and all the all the good stuff with mountain biking. So it's pretty pretty busy house. Yeah, no, no doubt. I I, yeah. I can't imagine. I have one son, so um, it's pretty focused on one one thing. So we're pretty lucky that way. Um, but uh, I can only uh, I can't really understand uh, exactly what that's like. But I know what it's like with one. Some days it can be crazy, but. Well, no matter what anyone says, you can you can live through your children. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you get to, you get to, you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right on. All right, man. So I uh, just want to talk a little bit about uh, you and where you are in. Uh, so you're in Winnipeg Fire. And how long have you been in Winnipeg? I've been on Winnipeg for 18 years. And then uh, two years on with a small department outside the city. Okay. So I've been in fire service for over over 20, but, uh, you know, doing a little bit of everything in between. Nice. And you're in your early 40s now, so you got on pretty young? Yeah, that's so I was lucky that way. I just turned 45, so it's nice to have – I got some experience before and got to do some things and then found uh, the fire service, which sort of directed me in a different way and brought all the things I love about sports and team and, and being in shape and all those things, uh, and adrenaline all in one job. So right. that sort of drew me in there. Yeah, no, that's the same for me. Is that kind of why you chose firefighting? Just for, like, yeah. kind of for those, those reasons? All those things that, you know, the, what you see or what you think the job is that I, I saw from the outside. You know, that's what I thought it was of, you know, guys want to be in shape and you're proactive and working with your community, you know, all those things. Uh, my dad was an RCMP, so I always grew up with that service in the family and I had a lot of pride of what my dad did and I was very proud of him. So it's sort of, I wanted to do the same, but uh, I married a Winnipeg girl and they, they don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, you have to, I had to figure out something there and the fire service really drew me in. Yeah, right on, man. That's uh, I, I I can kind of relate to having those reasons to becoming a firefighter, the teamwork and camaraderie and all that stuff, and uh, you know, and and then there are parts of the job that both of us know and that uh, you know no one really tells you about. Uh and hopefully, you know, that's some of the stuff that we'll talk about today. But I just also wanted to just go over a couple of your accolades you're an IAFF uh from my research and what we've talked about uh previously at our uh, 
just because we attended the BC British Columbia Professional Firefighters Association uh, Resiliency Retreat, a pilot program. So we spent uh, four days together getting to know each other pretty good. But from that, I remember, and some of the reading I've been doing, um, you're an IFF Master Instructor Fire Ground Survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you, can you can you just uh, kind of talk about that a little bit or... Like yeah, you what you, just kind of what you have to, what your expectations are, or what you actually get to do in uh, being a master instructor. Yeah, there's uh, in the IAFF, there's 25 master instructors across North America. So I'm very fortunate to be one of those. There, we have three initial, and then now we just uh, they just hired two more. Uh, so now we have five in Canada, which is huge. Uh, so as a master instructor, we actually go to different. Uh, departments across the continent and we set up or uh, the IFF sets up train the trainers so we can actually go in and train instructors to a level uh, so they can deploy this program so more and more firefighters will have the ability to have the skills to get themselves out when they can uh, get themselves trapped or just some situation awareness things and just take their training to a whole nother level and being that uh, as a master instructor we can deliver the program consistently across the continent. Right. Okay. And so you are also a trainer. I had read that you are a trainer for Petzl, the XO escape system. Yeah. I love just elaborate on that a little bit. That's uh, the rope rescue Petzl. Yeah. With uh, Petzl. Yeah. Petzl came up with a partnership with FDNY after they had black Sunday uh, when they lost their three, three firefighters were killed in line of duty from that incident and two initially. And then another Joy DiBernardo from his injuries later. Uh, and Petzl worked with FDNY and created this escape system that firefighters can wear as a bailout just in case something does happen and they can't uh, get to their exit. They can bail out of anything, uh, just based on their training and, and, just the commitment that both FDNY and Petzl had, they, they came up with a bulletproof uh, training program and also uh, a kit that if you train on it, it'll work for you. So right. I love it. And is that, uh, so some of the new gear now has a self uh, rescue system. Is that different from that? That's a separate, is that something that uh, each member can wear themselves like is that that, is that kind of the intention or like the rope guys kind of when they're going in for a rescue or yeah this is for anybody anyone going interior or exterior you wear this on your a class two harness that you wear like an integrated system on your turnout gear and i can wear it right on my kit and it's a individual rescue system so it's for if i get separated or lost or uh, blocked in and lose an exit then i can bail out but we also train to the point where, say, I have another firefighter with me that doesn't or isn't wearing his system. I can help him, and we can bail out together. So it's right. quite different degrees of training, and it's it's quite good because it works hand in hand with the the IAFF system. Right. And this is the only it's the only system that the IAFF actually endorses, right. based on its uh, Petzl and FDNY's commitment to training. And plus, that's actually the only one that's really been proven to uh, work there's so many out there but this right. one actually is is one of the best right and uh yeah probably 
you know, unfortunately, sometimes things get developed, you know, and, and from things that happen and, you know, they learn from it and develop better systems for guys. And it's probably something that, uh, you know, should have been developed 20 years ago instead of, you know, recently. Right. Cause I know that, yeah. uh, especially in your situation, you probably could have used uh, something like that. Yeah. And that's one of the downsides of all these different programs for, to equipment, to, um, um, mental wellness, all that, unfortunately, it's always reactionary in the fire service. And something has to happen, not just once, but about a hundred times before we realize that, yeah, we got to get better and, and figure this out because the same things are happening, not just on the physical, but this mental side too. Right. And, you know, honestly, uh, you know, it takes, it takes, uh, amazing people like yourself that, uh, you know, have gone through stuff and, uh, to be able to, you know, to help other people and, and be willing to, you know, share their knowledge and, and just really truly want to help other people. And, uh, I notice here too, that, uh, you're, you're, uh, kind of a, a member or part of the Phoenix society. And so we can talk about that maybe after, um, you bet. at the end there and the, the sore, uh, program, uh, the peer support program. And then, um, but we'll talk about that maybe, uh, after, uh, we hear your, your amazing story. And you're also the, are you still the, the IFF, uh, 13th district coordinator for the burn foundation? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, squeeze that in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I do no, that. I, yeah. I want to make sure yeah. I, everybody knows all your, uh, accomplishments buddy it's uh it's pretty amazing well it's and, all due to a, a patient wife <laughs> yes yeah no they it definitely it has to be uh you know a, a joint effort uh, i've realized that too and uh yeah it's a joint effort for sure and i know your wife uh joanna's you know you guys are both involved in the in the phoenix society and I was reading somewhere that I haven't heard. We didn't talk about this, but uh, there's a retreat that you guys are involved in, and the uh, the Burn Foundation uh, or the uh, the Burn Convention every year through Phoenix Society. So we can talk about that after. I think it would be more appropriate uh, just talking about a little bit after uh, after uh, everybody hears your story. And we can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of what you guys are doing now. And, and, uh, yeah, I think that would be, uh, you know, a good way to kind of end it there. But, uh, without further ado, man, if you, uh, if you don't mind, I know you told this story, uh, a bunch of times, uh, I've read a lot. I've heard the story myself firsthand, um, at our resiliency retreat, but uh, I think this is, you know, still relevant today. And that's why, you know, and not only the fact that it happened, but what you're doing now to, you know, to kind of, uh, uh, you know, move forward in your lives and the, the, the way that it's affected you and your wife and your kids and everybody and how you've kind of turned that into you know, you know, a little bit of a positive situation, helping others. Um, I think it's just an amazing story. And, uh, so yeah, if you just, 
you know, I, the, I'll just, I'll start it off by saying that uh, one of the things I was reading is just saying that, you know, the guys, uh, that day, if there's anything you don't want to talk about, just, you know, uh, that's, that's fine too. Just, uh, you know, just tell me, but, uh, it was just these the guys at the hall. It was a uh, Super Bowl Sunday, was it not? Yeah, it was a uh, Sunday Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, Sunday February fourth, two thousand seven, and the yeah. guys were at the hall watching Super, or they had just watched it, or were watching Super Bowl, and um, yeah. and they get the call for uh, for a shed fire or a garage a detached garage fire. Yeah, like it, uh, it came in right at shift, uh, like when the shift started, and everyone's already checked their gear. And I was actually uh, called in on overtime. So it was at my home station, number one, but it wasn't my shift. But I do day changes and things like that. So I'd worked with this crew just the weekend before. So I knew them really well because we'd always run into each other. And uh, it was just one of those normal things. It came in as a... Uh, telephone alarm back then we had that call thing it came in and was dispatched as a telephone alarm that we knew it was a house fire because multiple calls were made to 911 so it was a newer constructed home a house that we we didn't realize until later that the house was undergoing a major renovation so they changed a few things and but it came in so it was an attached garage fire and so we're going in, and it was end up a, a second in district than ours. So it was outside of our normal district, but uh, I was able to uh, guide the driver in because I used to work in that district. So I was able to guide Scotty in to that area. And, you know, like Winnipeg's a little different than most cities. At that time, it was minus 40s with the windshield, so really cold. But that was our normal. Like when January, February hits in Winnipeg, you know you're going to get that little hit of winter again or at least at least a week or two of minus 40s but we got away really quick and got into the the district really quickly as well and as you're getting in there you know getting geared up and we heard the district chief call out that it is a working fire he could see the smoke plume and the, and the glow of the flames already so he worked he called it in before he was even on scene so i started getting my gear ready uh, as we're on route, I got my thermal imager, had it go and turned it on, uh, switch seats so I can gu- I guide Scotty, who's driving, guide him in to the area. And uh, I looked over and I could see the captain, my cap, Harold Lassard that night for a three platoon. He was already geared up, ready to roll, and he was actually leaning forward, turning on his air already. Like he was one of those guys that uh, led his crew. Really, really great leader, great officer, and everyone really respected Harold. Uh, we got on scene there. You could see that it was an attached home, a uh, attached garage fire. Uh, flames were already showing out of the windows of the garage and out of the uh, front door. You could see that through those windows as well. It's uh, flaming out pretty good. So two cars are fully involved inside. The tires are popping pretty good. Uh, fire load inside. All the things that we store in our garages around here uh, try to keep them <laughs> in shape. Um, so we were getting geared up. We're getting moving forward. We split crews because we were we were knowing that we were already going to be doing search and rescue. Uh, we were tasked as the rescue, so before we even got on scene, so we split up my captain and our nozzleman, the guy that was a senior guy in our truck. They moved uh, up to instant command, and they were tasked to go to the second floor 
uh, do a primary search, go to the left, and Scotty and I, my partner, we were tasked to go to the right. So we're going in, and the crews are all doing their jobs, and everyone's already self, they've already tasked to what they're supposed to be doing. And so we're humping hose, helping the crew that was going in in front of us. They were doing, going to the second floor, look for extension cases fired, or have already built up and, and gone through, and if it's already inside the house. So we were following that hose line, just assisting them, trying to get to that second floor with their hose line. And it was just a very light smoke conditions inside the house. Like I could still see from the front to the back of the house. A very nice home as well. It's a, a municipal court judge's house. So it's a very nice area. And as we're going to the second floor, like I said, light smoke. All the lights were still on. Uh, we passed Ed, who was on our truck. He was uh, going to do primary, but he was stopping on the uh, staircase just to help pump hose to the other crew. And he was then going to follow our captain doing the primary to the left. But Scotty and I went up, and we noted, both of us noted that that garage wall that we were on the staircase, you can feel it on our left side. And he said, man, we both felt, man, that's getting hot. But as we got to the top of the stairs, we went to the right to do our primary to the right side of the second floor. And like I said, light smoke conditions, very light, wasn't heavy, wasn't hot, no heat conditions on the second. Uh, got over to the first bedroom which ended up being the daughter's bedroom in the front part of the house. Uh, Scotty proceeded on with the primary. I stayed in the doorway with the thermal imager. and I was scanning, looking for heat. There's no heat. The light was still on. So, you know, Scotty was a little uh, hazy to see Scott, but I could still see him moving. But I was watching him, looking at him in the thermal imager. Crews were all assembling outside. Um, the district chief was trying to do his 360. Things like that. So normal fire condition, or fire, fire, everyone's, uh, working well. The fire attack crew was working on the garage trying to get at that fire. And things seemed to be working as normal. Just a normal, uh, garage fire. You know, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary that we thought. And then some things started to change. You know, the, the garage door came down, a big fire load inside. And we didn't realize that the primary and the main floor wasn't done yet. So, the garage door, man door at the very back, we didn't realize that that door was unlatched. So when all these things were starting to happen, the wind was coming from the northeast, blowing right into that house. So all you can sort of see all these little triggers, all these little things were starting to happen. And the district chief outside noted he started, he started seeing the smoke change and a few things. And he called up to us, hey, guys, I want you to evacuate. And so I called the Scotty. And he was over in his side, his radio, he was having a problem with it. So he had it, she had it off. So I said, hey, Scotty, we've got to go. we got to evacuate. No big urgency. We didn't know what was going on on the outside or what he was seeing, what the district chief was seeing. And on the other side of the house where the crew that was doing the uh, looking for extension with the hose line, they had broken a window over on the far side of the house and then called for ventilation. And that's when the district chief said no. I want you guys to evacuate. No ventilation. I want you guys to evacuate. So we all started moving quickly. And Scotty and I moved to the back. And as we're getting to the door, all of a sudden, this thick, black, turbulent smoke just dropped on us. Everything changed within seconds. And so we're in this really thick, black, turbulent smoke. And, and it was hot. So it changed within seconds on us. And that's one of the things I really hear when you hear these line of duties or these near misses or close calls, 
everybody keeps saying how quickly things change. But when we go back and look at it, there's all these little things that we were starting to, that were changing on us that we just either missed or just weren't able to see happening. Right. And Scotty and I, Scotty actually ran right into me because the, th- the smoke was so thick and black. He ran into me and said, Hey man, let's go. And both of us agreed, okay, let's just get to the staircase and we'll get out of here. Like we're only, you know, 12 to 14 feet away from the staircase. So let's, let's just go and we'll get down and get out. Not in no big urgency. So I was now in the lead. We hit our way into the hallway. Scotty's flanked out on my ankle. He's uh, covering the hallway now. And I feel the, the step to the staircase. And I call Scotty. Hey, buddy, got the stairs. And all of a sudden, as we went to go down, uh, it just erupted on us. Not realizing that that door, the man door at the very back of the graduates failed and blown in. And the flow path was established up to that broken window. And it just lit up. Everything just lit up around us, and the heat was unbelievable. Uh, luckily, Scotty and I had, like, a, the railing up on the top. Second floor was like a glass, and it shielded us on our left sides. But uh, all you could hear was screaming everywhere from all the other crew members that were inside. And so we, we turned, and uh, Scotty and I both said, let's get back to the bedroom. We knew we had a window. We had an exit. So both of us kept saying, let's get that window. Uh, so Scotty turned first, let go of my coat. He remembers letting go of me and then beelining for that window. And as I turned, I got hit and knocked down the hallway into the bathroom. And I didn't realize, I didn't know what hit me or knocked me back. But I was pretty disoriented. Didn't realize what happened. Laying flat on my back. Scotty didn't realize that I got hit and knocked down. And he was beelining for that window. But he felt that heat and he, he really, uh, he was thinking, to himself, like, man, I can't believe I'm dying here. That's how hot and quickly it happened. I get up, I go to my thermal imager, and everything was white on that thermal imager. Couldn't see, plus all the, that soot and, and incomplete combustion in that black smoke. They called it black fire, uh, the smoke conditions that we're in. Because all that incomplete combustion, all he was looking for is a little bit of oxygen, and that's what happened when that door failed. But all that incomplete combustion, that soot was just baking on us. And I was actually blacking out my my mask. Uh, all that my gear was getting uh, blackened out. So I got up and it, everything seemed hot. Like, you know, you feel that tingling in your nail beds. And it was that's how hot it was getting. And uh, everything, every compression you had on your gear was starting to hurt. So I made my way out of the bathroom. I didn't realize it was a bathroom because I didn't know that layout of the house yet. I thought it was a closet at the time. Get out there and I go into the hallway. Scotty, he's finding his way through the room trying to find that dorm or window. All of a sudden I get across, I find a set of boots. And I think it's Scotty, so I'm, I'm pretty revved up and starting to panic now because the heat's starting to, it's starting to get to me and the heat, it's starting to become painful. Right. So I, I give a shake and I think it's Scotty, Scotty, we gotta go, we gotta go. But it was actually, uh, my cap, I hear the sound and the voice and it's actually Harold, my captain. So I said, Cap, Cap, we got to go, we got to go. And I get him up, and we're able to make our way down the hallway. And the first right we took, because I was switched back on the other side, I thought I was still on that side of the house, but I was actually on the other side of the house now due to being knocked down and disoriented. So I get the cap up, and I take the first right, and he's falling right behind me now and ends up being the bedroom on the opposite side of the room, opposite side of the hallway. So we're in there. And Cap's right on my side, 
and on right to my back and left side. And we, we were beelining, trying to find a window. And I hit the back wall, which is the Charlie side of the house now. And I reach up and I find a window. Like it, was, it happened really quick, instant relief. You feel that, you know, like that rush. And it was like, oh, okay, we're going to be okay. So I reach up and then all of a sudden I hear Scotty yelling. I said, he, and he said, uh, found a window, breaking glass. And I'm like, no way. Like Scotty's on the other side of the house. I don't realize it, but no, I hear that he's okay. But so I got going at that window and trying to bust it out, losing my axe when I got knocked down. So I thought, oh, that's okay. I'll punch it out. So I was punching out. And man, it felt like concrete, not realizing all this new uh, construction they did. They put in triple pane windows with the gas. Right. So I couldn't, I didn't realize how tough those suckers are. But punch them out. And then Scotty, he bust through his and he dove through head first. That's how bad it was getting for us. Um, he landed about two feet down onto the front uh, porch or front front entranceway. There was a roof there. Luckily, Scotty jumped out and landed in the snow on that rooftop. And But unfortunately, he was all blacked out too from that soot on his face. He couldn't quite see, but he luckily caught himself from sliding off, caught the rain gutter, and was able to get down from there. Oh, wow. So I didn't. I now I didn't realize Scotty was out at this point, but I'm punching that window trying to hit as hard as I can. Same time, Harold, my cap was right beside me. We're going, man, it's on here. We kept saying back and forth, it's getting so hot. And uh, I remember my right hand going through the window first, and then I just kept punching. I don't remember clearing the whole window, but by the time I pulled my hands back, I couldn't feel my hands and arms. They just everything was quite hot and uh, unfortunately getting burnt. And when I cleared my window, I created another exit. And Scotty's window was on the windward side. And now we, we heard like it was like a rush or like an airplane engine. It was like a woof sound. And it vented on us again in that room through our window. And it just was unbelievable uh, situation where Harold and I were both uh, – crying out for help because there was just there was no escaping that heat it was right through that little vent that we i had created yeah man the crew the crews on the back side the charlie side were trying to protect exposures on the bravo side and they heard the window break and that lieutenant called for the ladder that was on the bravo side to try to pull it over and try to help us out that window uh so but the lieutenant that was over there was heard, heard us calling for help and now Scotty is out as well, and he goes to the front side where the instant commander was, and he goes, where is everybody? You know, and instant commander's like, what do you mean? And Scotty told him the, about the fire event we, that we experienced, and right away, the district chief, he put in uh, that we were missing four members on the second floor, and that uh, writ was now being engaged, and they were just walking up the driveway. You know, we were just sitting with them in the kitchen watching Super Bowl at number one, and those guys were instantly put into action and, and grabbed a line and the covenant to try to save us. Right. So like this, all this, it was happening so quickly. Like it really happened within the first like four to five minutes of uh, being on scene. Wow, man. Unbelievable. And I, remember, oh, and I remember when after the district chief, he was asking, how long do you think you're in there? And I said, man, I feel like, like 45 minutes. He said, no, you're only in there like for nine to 10 minutes. You know, it's, but uh, 
in the back there in that room. Once I got that window open, I could hear the crews on the outside calling us to jump to jump. They're trying to get that ladder over to us through like three, four feet of snow. But unfortunately, the halyard broke and the dogs jammed and they couldn't quite get that extension ladder down. So they're trying to pull this big extension ladder through the snow. But they kept telling us, they heard us calling for help uh, to jump. And I could also hear on my radio that the RIT team was being uh, engaged and they were on their way. And I heard a lot of commotion from the hallway. But I heard this screaming too. I didn't realize it was our nozzleman, Eddie. He was on that staircase when it, it flashed up at us. And unfortunately, he was caught right in that flow path. So he was laying on the stairs uh, upside down, um, oh, caught in that. So not realizing when the RIT team was coming in for us, I thought they were coming for us. And Harold and I and my cap were yelling, like, hey, we're up here, we're up here. Uh, they actually came and found him first. We didn't realize that. So we thought they were still coming for us, but unfortunately they, they had to stop and they grabbed Eddie and then they had to make their exit that way and extricate him. But it got so bad up there with that heat that I said, Cap, we got to go, we got to go. And I tried to grab him and get him through that window. But I didn't realize all that heat, all that energy was on the outside of our gear, was protecting us. And then when I went to grab him, I compacted that gear. And it, all the heat transferred to our skin. Both Harold and I yelled out, screamed out. And that's not initially what was I was thinking. You know, I was thinking, man, I've done this before. Like, we've done tons of RIT training. We, we did a lot of training back then, you know, mm-hmm. and especially RIT. But what I was thinking is, man, I got to use my legs. It's like a, you know, a worker's comp commercial or something where you got to use those legs. I got to use those legs. And I, kept thinking I'm young I, I, I can do this I've done it but when I tried to do it again I bent down and used those legs and tried to pull Harold over that window uh, all that heat all that energy transferred again and just that pain took over the brain it's unbelievable what the what pain does and it just we both screamed out uh, but we all we just both fell to the floor at that point but luckily I was able to get Harold up and at least he was at that window now on that ledge, um, but I couldn't see what happened. But one arm went out the window, but the other arm was in, stuck on that other side of the, the window um, separation that I'd broken out. So when I was trying to get him through, I didn't understand why he couldn't fit. But then at this point, uh, Harold moved aside and he said, like, both of us were just wiped at this point. And he kept, Harold told me, he said, you got to go, you got to go. And so I tried to fit through that window. And you know when you're doing that training where it feels like when you're blacked out, that, that little hole feels so tiny. But uh, my helmet fit through, so I knew if my helmet fit, my body will go. So all that little muscle memory of doing the drills before really came back quickly, and I, I went right through the window and went down about 16 feet to the deck below. Right. Luckily, luckily missing the crews that were down there. I didn't land on them, but uh, luckily I, was, I landed right on my side, and you know I didn't flip or anything. Landed on my side, and uh, honestly, I, I didn't feel any pain at that point. You know, everything just sort of. I closed. I remember I took a breath and closed my eyes, and I felt no pain anymore. So it was, I'm not sure it was a combination of shock and or the extreme cold that we we had that night. Right, and just maybe, yeah. Maybe your brain just saying, okay, I'm out. 
of I'm that, done of that danger. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's time to focus on something else. Wow, man. <laughs> yeah. So, it, but then as the crews were helping me uh, walk, I walked around. Uh, they didn't even know who it was because our gear was just so trashed. It was blackened, and they took off my helmet and mask, and they realized it was me because uh, I was on overtime, and the other crews that were there behind me were my shift on overtime as well. So they were walking me around, and then two of them, like Scotty Kissick, he jumped up and was able to climb up onto the sunroof roof and was pulling Harold out the window, trying to get him out, but he was stuck in that window, couldn't quite get him out. So another member... Ray Thompson came over on the ladder. Uh, they were able to get at a really, like it was a big extension ladder, so it was a really poor angle, but they were able to get up there and Ray and Scotty were up there trying to pull Harold out, but they had to put him back in and do a low profile to get in there and take his pack off and get him out the window that way. So, so many uh, tremendous efforts happened that night. Uh, so many firemen uh, did so much to, risked their lives to try to get the guys and for us it was unbelievable like really really hits you sometimes when you think of what those guys were trying to do and you see the pictures of the event and that red team coming for us of the buildings collapsing on the one side and they're still trying to make uh their way to help us right so when they they did get harold out and then the district chief uh, was doing his par and he realized captain nichols from engine two was still missing as well so he sent a secondary team in and trying to find where, where Tom was. And as the guys were pulling uh, Harold down the back ladder on the Charlie side, and that's when he got to the ground, that's where Harold stopped breathing. And the crews instantly started doing CPR, trying to do mouth-to-mouth, trying to save uh, trying to save Harold and bring him to the front where they can work on him better. Uh, then they found Tom up in the second floor as well. Tom was on the other side of the house, on the Bravo-Charlie corner, where that window was broken when they were looking for extension. But then when it darkened down on us and, and it flashed, it went to that window and, and they're guess, guessing. The only way we can make sense of it is that it hit Tom and from his massive injuries to his upper body, it burnt through his throat region. His son, Kelly, shared that with us. Mm. And we were thinking... What hit me was probably Tom running through that smoke and, and pain and knocked me back like eight feet into the, the bathroom. Yeah, right. And Tom was found in the same bedroom that Harold and I were in getting out on the other side of the bed. You know, like he was only four feet away from us and we didn't even hear anything, didn't hear a sound from anything because everything was just massively burnt and, and damaged. So it's a really... Like at the time, it was very, it seemed very quick, but they'd all slowed down, you know, you know, that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was such a uh, bizarre uh, occurrence, you know, to happen and, and then try to put it all together after from all the stories from the guys. And so the secondary team found Tom just by chance. They, instead of going to the right, uh, left, they looked right when they got to the top stairs and the thermal imager saw a boot and they went over to it, grabbed Tom and actually him really quickly. But unfortunately he was, he had no, uh, 
no signs of life either. And the guys instantly started working on them mouth to mouth CPR, trying to get them to the cross street off of that little small cul-de-sac. And, uh, they, they did a tremendous job, you know, from what they had to deal with and got us en route to the hospital. And I was fortunate that, uh, I had some great paramedics that, uh, stabilized me, got some pain meds going and, get me to the hospital our burn center very quickly wow that's uh that is absolutely amazing unbelievable and even as a firefighter and being in fires and uh had some you know rescues and things like that so hard to imagine uh what you went through and uh it's uh it's a sad tragic event um definitely and uh you know i i thank you and appreciate you telling the story um i'm sure it doesn't get any easier talking about it but uh, i know you do it to help others just from what we've talked about and uh i i thank you and hopefully the people that uh will listen to this will thank you as well so if you do you want to um, talk a little bit about, so you went to the hospital um, and from the hospital, yeah, I was reading that you, or do you, have, do you have anything else to add to that? Or are you just like, is that pretty much good from that point? Or do you want to talk about yeah. anything else? Or well, I think, yeah, we'll get into a little more of the after effects of like, um, ended up with 70% burn like a first, second, and third, and about a third third degree was around 30%, but uh, full thickness was about 18 to 20%. Mm-hmm. So like most was my hands, my arms, abdomen, uh, pieces of leg, you know, a little bit all over ears and mm-hmm. things like that, you know, but, but we'll get into more of that as we will discuss because just those – you know, in surviving the incident, everyone thinks, oh, man, you make it. You know, like you go through an incident with any of these calls we go on and you, you think the incident finishes when the fire's out. Right. You know, you think, okay, you make the hospital, you, you survived it, and you think, okay, no, I'm, I'm okay. Now we just, just got to get back to normal. You know, get right. the – it's like when you break an arm or a leg. You get that cast on there and say, hey, as soon as that cast is gone, I'm going to be actually stronger. You know, I'm going to build, do some build back up physio, but, you know, that bone's going to be stronger now, you know. But a burn, a burn changes everything. You know, it really does. Like it, unfortunately, those initial first hours and days and weeks, months, right. uh, you lose your identity for a while you have to almost you have the ability to recreate yourself and that's fortunately the direction that we went is uh the burn seemed to take everything away like i was going to possibly lose a couple fingers and all these things were starting to happen and the fear was setting in of not being able to be the person i was anymore you know being a fireman being a dad like not who like didn't even couldn't even walk at that point right so a lot of unknowns because when you go to fire school or in, in, even in the job, nothing is conveyed or talked about that this can happen, you know, that a burn can happen. And what, what's in place 
to help you get back. Or if it happens, this is the guidebook that we're going to be giving you and you're going to get back to normal or, or back to where you'd like to be. And right. none of that's discussed. And even especially going through a line of duty, you know, knowing that he was right beside you right. in the kitchen watching a Super Bowl game. And then 15 minutes later that your, your captain has been killed. You know, it's just nothing was really, I wasn't prepared for it. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, and you said that earlier too, about, uh, how in the fire service we're so reactionary as opposed to, you know, being proactive and, you know, I know it's hard to, to educate people on exactly, you know, what it would feel like if this happened or that happened, but just the awareness and the, you know, and the education on that these things are possible um, in, you know, in doing your job. It's not, you know, it's not all just going to the call and coming home and cleaning up the truck and you're back in service, right? It's, you know, there's all these other things that, that, uh, you know, don't get necessarily dealt with until they have to deal with them. And unfortunately, you know, as the firefighter or the employee or the worker, whatever you want to, you know, call that position, you know, we're the ones that get affected. Right. So, you know, it is unfortunate that these events happen and, you know, the fortunate part is that there's people like you, um, that, you know, take this loss and, and are able to, you know, look at helping other people and, you know, help preventing it from happening, happening again. But if you wouldn't uh, mind just a little bit, if you want to just talk a little bit uh, about your recovery in the hospital, I noticed uh, I was reading, it says that you were supposed to be in there for two months and uh, it only took, uh, you know, you're out of there in like 11 days or 10 days or something. So, you know, you seem to uh, recover enough to go home, but you know, uh, we, as you know, we all know that's not the end of it, like you were saying, right? So maybe, uh, if you want to just talk a little bit about, you know, that process of, you know, getting to the hospital, leaving the hospital, and then, you know, once you get home and, and, uh, you know, the struggles and, and, uh, you know, the, not just the physical injuries, but the mental health issues and stuff like that too, if you just want to. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. When, my my wife was doing a lot of the work on the outside of my room. I was in an isolation room uh, for afterburn for infection and heat control and everything because your thermoregulation is off uh, because of the burn. So she was out there getting counsel from the burn surgeons, and she had to come back in and tell me, hey, like we're going to be in here for two months, and I might be losing my fingers, and there's a few things she had to tell me. It was devastating. You know, because you're thinking, I've never experienced a burn before. Uh, you think, hey, we're in for a couple of days and then we can get out of here and get back to home and our life. But then you find out that everything is going to be turned upside down. Two months in the burn center, uh, surgeries, uh, multiple surgeries and things like that. And so we, we, Joanna and I, I remember we suffered in that room alone for a couple hours, just 
crying and, and not sure what to do and what's going to happen and you know the instability we just didn't know you know and then a few things were happening like the memorials and 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 non-stop firefighters coming in uh visiting and seeing us and how we're doing and the support was incredible from from the crews and friends uh that was one thing that was a driving force to really want to get better and Unfortunately, there's some complications with medications and things that really played havoc with my my brain and my mind. And my I hardly slept those first few days, uh, waking up thinking I was right back inside. You know, little right. Joanna trying to hold me down because uh, right. I wasn't supposed to be moving. You know, I was supposed to be after my surgeries. You're supposed to stay stationary so the grafting sets because they took all the skin from my legs and placed it on my arms and hands and abdomen. So it wouldn't. It would set and, and take, uh, but some of those nights, man, I was just trying to get away, and Joanna was trying to hold me down. So, luckily, some of my friends and crew members started doing like a rotation to help Joanna because she was going twenty four seven. Right. You know, she was exhausted. Our little boys were at my in laws. They were able to help us out that way, and Joanna was just barely getting home to shower. And then go see the boys, and then she'd drive back to the hospital to see me, with the little boys crying in the driveway. So she'd put your, put herself back together, put on a brave face. So I didn't know anything was going on, you know. All that stuff was just breaking her down, and but she never once uh, showed me anything was wrong. You know, she was always there as my support. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, but uh, that's amazing too. I mean, oh, just. And, you know, you don't realize it until I look back at those pictures or, you know, some of the things that we had from that incident or being that timeline of how tired she was, you know, and and she never once once complained about her. And and that's one of the things about our our spouses in the fire service. Our calls come home and affect them in many ways, but they don't tell us that it is affecting them and the fear and. That's one of the things that we realized after this is my wife, I sort of lost her as my wife for not just months, a couple of years. Right. She then, she became my caregiver, my nurse. Uh, you know, we didn't have that relationship where I was trying to get back to be independent because I had, I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't feed myself, couldn't even walk. And my wife had to do all that stuff and, and not only take care of two boys, she had to take care of me, you know. Right. So all these little things that was cast onto her was she wasn't prepared for it either. Like, like I wasn't prepared for a burn or a career ending in, uh, injury. She wasn't prepared for this to happen. Cause you know, we had the best gear, like we had amazing morning pride gear. We had all the good, we had good gloves, good SCBAs, but then this crept into our lives, you know, right. and, uh, then the survivor guilt of, you know, not being able to get your captain out is one of the most devastating feelings I've ever had, you know, of not being able to get him out, right. uh, you know. So no, we imagine. were dealing with that and, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to say anything because, you know, this was nothing compared to losing your husband like Lynn Lassard did or Linda Nichols losing their their husbands and their kids losing their dads. And right. It was really, you didn't want to say anything because, you know, you we've, both Joanna and I were feeling the pain and 
all the fear and but at the moment we just you know you're starting to realize how lucky we got right. that actually made it right and do you think uh, not to interrupt but do you think that now you know looking back it's yeah definitely you know two different situations you know uh they lost a family member uh and you have your burns and trying to rebuild your life but you know mentally now you know do you feel any different uh about that knowing what you know about mental health and and that like the the effects on the brain the trauma effects on the brain are you know similar in those uh situations the brain you know maybe maybe doesn't know the significance but or do you you know is it still something that you think about or yeah that's those are things that I wish I wish I could have pre-planned you know that the feelings that we've been having ever since like it's 11 years now since our incident but all these feelings that we have are normal you know our normal responses to trauma normal responses to loss or this that feeling of helplessness and you know all that what happens between a husband and wife from this too, or even coworkers, this is a normal response based on your brain. Right. Your brain is just trying to keep, help you survive. You know, it puts you in that fight or flight response and it, it just, it just turns off all those unnecessary things going on and it focuses on keeping you alive. Right. And that, which is a huge benefit. It, it It's the most primal response in our body. But then to normalize it, you know, it doesn't feel right. 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 So it's it's not, it, it's not normal or it's not, yeah. those situations are not normal. I mean, exactly. This is normal. Me talking to you is, is a normal thing, you know, going in there and doing that job and, and putting your life on the line and then ultimately having, you know, those things happen. I mean, that's, that's not a normal situation. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, a lot's been learned from incidents like that and from your incident and, you know, and, and also the, what you talk about with it uh, coming home too. And I think a lot of times people don't understand that, um, that it does come home and you don't just turn it off and, you know, it affects you, but it affects your relationships. It affects your wife. It affects your kids. It affects, you know, it affects your whole life. You don't just turn it off when you leave the fire hall. And yeah, exactly, uh, you yeah. know, that's, you know, one of the things that you said there and that really resonates with me. And, you know, I, I just hope, you know, that people understand that more and more as we explore this, you know, the mental health and issues in the fire service. And, uh, but um, yeah, so Sorry to interrupt you there, but, uh, so yeah, you're, you're in the, uh, you're, you're kind of, you're in there for a little bit and you come home. Uh, I did notice not to, not to shed light on it, but, uh, or make you know, make it, uh, uh, lighter than it is. But I did notice somewhere that you had said maybe under sedation too. Hey, Hey, Joanna, let's, uh, let's have another kid. And that kind of sounded <laughs> yeah. like maybe that uh, inspired her that you were going to be okay, and and uh, and um, you know maybe you too kind of thing. Knowing in your heart, you know, you're like, hey, 
I'm going to be okay. This is going to be tough, but we're going to, you know, we're going to get through this. And uh, anyways, I thought that was kind of neat. I don't know if that's yeah. something that was true or. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, when they first brought me into the recess room in, in the emerge, emergency at the health sciences center, uh, that, you know, the drugs were really kicking in. I, that's what I always say is the drugs were kicked in. And the first thing when Joanna came in, the first thing I said to her was, we got to have another baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I always say that I is drug induced, but I yeah. never give, I give up, never give up my little girl now. It's yeah, amazing. No, that, that's awesome. Yeah, she's, I, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where probably subconsciously, unco- you know, subconsciously you're, you're going, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be okay. And, uh, we'll get through this. So that that's, that's pretty awesome, man. And then you, you guys did have, uh, have your daughter there. So yeah, that's, that's pretty yeah. cool. A nice, you know, uh, a light moment there in the, in the darkness for sure. Well, it was our little girl and plus the kids having something to work for changes everything instead of just worrying about like for the first few days, weeks and months, all you're thinking about is yourself and it, it wasn't healthy. Right. Um, you know, having that uh, something to work for, like my family, my kids, and my wife. Yeah. Not just thinking about, okay, got to get better, got to get better. Having to work for someone else was a, a much better goal right. in my mind. Because uh, I started seeing things, how it was going, and how I felt almost detached from my family because all I was doing is recovery and physio and trying to figure out, okay, who the heck am I now? You know, like you look in the mirror and you look at your skin and hands and you don't even recognize them anymore. Like you're like like a patchwork quilt. Right. Cause you know, the skin's coming from all over. And, um, I saw my brother-in-law playing with my boys one day. Yeah. And it was devastating to see, my son learning how to ride a bike without his dad. Yeah. And that's where it really kicked in. And, and I, I had a, a couple of good friends that knew I was battling this and I got sent a video of the Hoyt team Hoyt, the, the dad that does the triathlons with their son in the wheelchair. Okay. And that video changed my life right there. That just seen what, what is what is a dad willing to do for his family right. or his son? And the the song uh, I can only imagine became like our motivating theme right. uh, between the Joanna and I. And we we actually used that song in a video that Joanna made about her view of the incident. Right. And that that's it, it really personifies what what happened and and where we're going and that it's never ending. Right. But we had a goal and, and we have something even stronger than just getting better. You know, we, we, we don't want to lose what we have and we we're fighting for this marriage. We're fighting for our family because it's, as you know, Brad, it's, it didn't end when I left the hospital. It didn't end when I got back to work. Right. You know, it didn't, doesn't end a year or two later. Unfortunately, I wish it would, you know, But uh, it is an ongoing process. Uh, like we met a few great people, like Lawrence Gonzalez. From he's an author of Deep Survival and Surviving Survival. And within those books, he states, you know, he said that sur- surviving the initial incident is 
almost easier. You know, most get lost within the trauma of the after effects. Right. Right. And you know, you know how that feels. And, and that's why I think that we've got that bond of friendship and brotherhood that, you know, that not everybody has. Right. And something I truly cherish for sure, man, that's, uh, you know, inspiring, uh, to hear that, you know, you saw something, you know, cause sometimes I think too, we, we just have that aha moment, you know, and we're kind of looking for, or you don't even maybe know that you're looking for it. And then you see something or hear something and it's like, holy crap, that, you know, this is just, okay, it's time, you know, it's, it's time to do something different here or, or whatever it is, right. Appreciate your family and, you know, cause yeah, it does, it does. And I, you know, again, I'm only speaking from my experience, can't understand hundred percent your experience, but I do know that it makes you have a new outlook on life. If you, you know, choose to go that way and have, you know, have some more different, you know, meaning in your life and your family and, and what you're living for is, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. And unfortunately it does take these types of incidents sometimes for people to realize that I just wish, you know, we would be able to kind of, and this is, I guess, you know, what, what we're kind of trying to do here is, you know, maybe inspire people before they get to, you know, certain levels or have certain things happen to kind of, you know, appreciate some things a little more and, and just appreciate being, you know, alive and alive to thrive is I, that's kind of what I, uh, what I like to say. Right. And, uh, well, it's like, it's, it's a shame. It's like every in the fire service or even in human nature, we, it sucks that we have to fail to learn what's, what's really happening sometimes. Right. And, and I, I never, never once anticipated that something like this could even happen to us. You know, you see it in movies, you see it in other departments. But I, I had to have that suck it up moment. Right. Like, okay, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Right. And think about what's what's happening, how this is affecting my my little boys, and how it's affecting my wife and and right. friends and. And maybe, maybe I could take a little bit of that and use that as motivation to get out of that feeling that I was starting to get into. And luckily, I, I didn't react well to the medication, so yeah. I got off it. Right. So that was, you know, pain meds are a benefit to many, but I, I really needed to get off them for clarity of mind because you're in such a, a cloud. Yeah. And I was so glad to get off of the medication. Because uh, then things started to get a little more focused, and I could really, you know, you know that feeling of that workout. I, I, I got that, and that became, and Joanna and I, we made a plan. And having that plan was huge for me, because then it was my goal. Right. Like I could, I could make a plan, and 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 a good friend of mine was a personal trainer. Dan Brown was, he's a really good friend of mine, and he set up a working plan that. I didn't have to go to the re- rehab hospital anymore, and they worked with uh, George, my physiotherapist at the burn center, and say, okay, instead of going to the burn center, I get to go back to my gym and work out there with Dan. And he knew the limitations of what I was supposed to be doing. And also, he had the, he had the personal side. He knew me, and he was able to push me in ways 
um, that I, I thought I wasn't ready for, but he was able to do, you know, cause he, we were friends for one plus with his, uh, knowledge of the body and, and it's from George, the burn physiotherapist, like he was able to push me and <laughs> the odd day I'd be, I'd faint <laughs> because I, you know, I'd lost a lot of my blood supply during the surgeries and they, right. I was young enough. They didn't do a transfusion. So I just, I was only half full. So all of a sudden I'd be pushing and pushing it. And all of a sudden I'd look at Dan and I'd be looking sideways. You know, my, I was all pale and dad said, Oh, you don't look good. And I was like, all of a sudden I, I'll almost be fainting. And, yeah. But, but now all those little failures really make you realize that it's, it's worth the, it's worth it. Yeah. And you know what? I think you said it best there too, is that you know, you kind of just had that moment where it's like, okay, it's time to make this work, you know, and you guys made a plan. And, you know, I, I think it, you know, I believe that, you know, it sounds like, you know, and maybe I'm wrong, but you know, it's sometimes we look at what we can't do as opposed to what we can do. And if you look at it, okay, I know I can't do certain things, but there are a ton of things I can do. So let's focus on the things I can do and not worry about the things I can't do because there's probably more things I can do with my life or in my life to get better and, and those types of things to heal than there are, you know, things that I can't do. So it sounds like, you know, you kind of had that moment. So that that's, uh, that's awesome, man. Well, we, and of course, right away, all you heard was the downside of, your injuries and limitations you're going to have and never go out in the sun again. Your skin's never going to tan. You know, I love being outside all that. That's all we heard. Right. But then the, one of the best things, I think my burn surgeon is Ed uh, Bouchel, amazing surgeon. Um, he said, no, you decide like, if you want to do this, get to the gym, like the best way to stretch that skin. Cause it was starting to get healing. So of course it constricts and gets tight and itchy and, he said, build the muscle underneath, slowly stretch it with the muscle growth and get back that muscle memory that you had, you know, cause you, you, as soon as you're down, uh, not exercising, that muscle just gets smaller and smaller. But luckily that muscle memory rebounded really quickly. And that, that endorphin rush from getting uh, a workout in was amazing. Right. You know, that, that workout where it was the positive reinforcement, the positive endorphins were just flowing from that workout. You're feeling stronger. You're getting the confidence. You're starting to gain yourself again. And I, my workout is still that my release, you know, that, that one thing I know if things are going for a shit one day, <laughs> uh, Joanna knows, uh, did you want to go to the gym? You know, <laughs> so she knows. Maybe you should go to the gym. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. did you go to the gym yet? <laughs> so she knows and and she knows that and you know and luckily that escape that that rush and and if to flood that body full of the good positive endorphins still does work. So Yeah. No, um, I I hear you man. I I mean, honestly, it, it for me it you know and it sounds like for you too. It boils down to you know, I when you go to the gym even if you don't, you're like, ah, oh, okay, I don't, ah, I don't really feel like doing this. After there has never ever been a single workout, and I'm pretty sure most people can say this, 
you know, you've been to the gym, you're getting, you know, you're getting your sweat on, heart rate up. And have you ever said, oh, I wish I didn't do this? Exactly. Like, never. Yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, they, what do they say? You know, anyways, I just, I hear what you're saying. And uh, I'm a big believer in uh, exercise, uh, you know, just with my background. But, uh, you know, I, I can understand that fully. But maybe, uh you know, why don't we stay with what we're talking about a little bit and just kind of now that, uh, so you, you're, you're at home, you're recovering and now you're going to go back to work. Um, and then you guys decide to do some other things in your lives to, to kind of move forward and help other people. So I don't know if you, do you want to talk a little bit about going back to work and how long it took you to get back to work and kind of get back on the truck and what that was like maybe. And then, uh, yeah. And then we'll talk a little bit about, uh, all this amazing, uh, stuff you guys are doing to help other burn survivors. Yeah. Like, um, so the goal basically with Joanna, she had to take a leave of absence without pay for a bit. So that was amazing help. But then on the downside, uh, you know, we accumulated a debt, you know, cause she wasn't getting income. I wasn't working on the side, all those different things, but it helped us focus. Like I was able to just focus on going to the gym, getting, uh, feeling my strength come back and my, myself, and uh, getting a little bit of my identity, then I was able to gradually start spending time with my boys again and becoming the dad, which I thought I lost. Like it was a couple of weeks and months that you're thinking, man, I, I'm not their dad anymore because I was afraid for them to see me like the way I looked, my arms and hands, and they couldn't touch me and I couldn't hold them anymore. But gradually I was able to start lifting them again and, and my, my arms and hands weren't as sensitive. So I started to get that. So it was really starting to be good. But then all these months of working on self and my boys, I was losing that relationship with my wife. And right. Joanna and I had always been so close. And that was not really relevant until we realized that we were just operating in different paths. Like I was going, it was all positive. Like where I was moving forward, I was getting better. Joanna was getting more independent doing more things like she had to learn how to pay bills. She was, she was, had to go back to work, all those things. And she was doing things like she'd fix the dishwasher. She doing all these things, but we weren't together. You know, it was, we're on two separate healing paths and not, and neither of us really acknowledged or realized that Joanna was going through the same trauma that I had experienced, but on her side, you know, so luckily we were introduced to a trauma specialist, Dr. Bill Davis, and he dealt with uh, Oklahoma bombings down there. He yep. dealt with 9-11 with FDNY for over a year, and he was actually from Winnipeg. So we all went there, the crew, just four of us that made it out, the, the survivors from that. Uh, we went to Dr. Davis to help one of the members. We knew he was suffering, and we all said, oh, let's go as a group. By the end of that session, all of us actually had appointments because we realized, man, we need help here. Because dealing with trauma, we all normalized it, right? But like you said earlier, this is, uh, we reacted normal, but it's not a normal situation. Right. You know, so we had to get back to getting back to our, getting our minds and our, and how we were reacting to that situation to acknowledge the fact, no, this is not supposed to happen. 
but we have to get through that process so we can start healing uh, that brain and, and so not every trauma is going to or in every situation you end up like this right so that process started and then Joanne and I actually individually were going and then like working on each other individually and then we got together and worked as a couple of how to try to save our marriage because we didn't realize it but we we're not on a good path you know we weren't arguing nothing like that but we just weren't husband and wife. We were. I was a patient. And he was. She was my my caregiver. So it took some time of of getting simple little things down and how to rebuild our marriage. Uh, and at the same time, I was on my way back to work. You know, it took ten months uh, till I was able to be cleared for duty. That's amazing. By my too, cert- by the way. <laughs> oh, ten it, months, it was buddy. A, in this. The, one thing I thought I was ready in June because I thought, okay, I'm ready, I'm strong, but no, the burn sur- surgeon said, no, you're not going back. So right. fortunate we had a bigger brain taking care of me. <laughs> Someone <laughs> else knew better, uh, not just going by emotion. You know, I wanted to get back, wanted to get back, prove myself that I could do it instead of thinking about the ramifications of going back too early. You know, because all this time, all I was working on was the physical side. And then meeting Dr. Davis, gradually we're starting to acknowledge the fact that, no, this is more than just physical, not just the burns. It's uh, There's there's a mental side to this whole trauma. So we were just getting into that, but then I got back to work. And, you know, you get back to work, and all of a sudden I got my gear, this uh, turnout gear, and I had, had to put on an SCBA, and all of a sudden I had that mask on, and all of a sudden, boom, it hit me like a freight train. Right back. I'm right back in that situation. I was like, holy man, not prepared at all. You know, there was no back to work program. There's uh, a few uh, academy officers were assigned to me to work with me because uh, they were just wanting to put me back in station. But I, I actually asked to be put back to the academy right. to see if I could actually do it. Right. You know, because I didn't know how my burns would react to the heat or anything. Right. So fortunately, it took a full month of work hardening, you know, just to get that mask on, getting blacked out, feeling trapped. Uh, it was difficult for the first three weeks to finally a breakthrough in the last week, and I felt confident enough to get back on the truck. And I had a great uh, – my captain on two shift was Brad Harless, just a great captain at number one. And uh, he made it happen that I would actually be the fifth man on our engine, and I'd always be with him. And he would know, he'd push me forward and know when to pull me back. So I always went with the captain. So he was able to guide me and help me in many ways for those first few months nice. and calls. Cause, you know, every time that gong went, I was going back to that house right. every single time, you know. But I didn't want anyone to know that that's what I was thinking. You know, every time that gong would go and we'd been making dinner, I'd be feeling good. Like with the crew and all of a sudden the gong going, okay, I'm right back in their hearts racing and chest pounding. Uh, I can only, but imagine. not, yeah, but not letting, I didn't want the guys to know, you know, right. uh, that I was terrified. So, cause it's hard. You, you, you make it back to work. You think, Oh, it's a, it's a positive step forward. Just positive. But every single time you're, you're going back to that same house. Right. And you're worrying about, you know, things like, do they trust me? Do they think I'm gonna, you know, am I? Am I going to fail? Am I, you know, what are these guys saying about me? You know? Yeah. The elephant in the room, you know, like 
No one wants. Yeah, to, you walk- don't want to talk about it, and they don't want to talk about it. And no one knows what to do. Uh, yeah, because it's it's a it's a new situation. Right. Like nobody, we hadn't been through this before of have a double line of duty, and then the guys get back to work, and yeah, you're 100. percent No, I I I wanted to be, you know, yeah. I wanted to be better, and that's what was on my mind constantly was I can't let them down, right? You know, so to admit that it wasn't going perfect was hard and one of those crew members that was up there trying to get us out on like scotty kissick like he was there on the outside he saw it but he's the he was the engine driver of engine 101 on my shift so scotty was there and he was a huge proponent to helping me and those feeling safe and feeling confident and feeling good and to move forward right you know and he was he still is he's always been a a good voice and, and a good friend uh coming back and you know, 11 years later, still, we right. still chat and talk. So, right. you know, it's uh, the downside, though. We I didn't realize, like, I felt, okay, good, I'm back to work. And now realizing that at home, it was actually getting worse. Right. You know, Joanna was scared. The boys, like Noah, wasn't unable to sleep by himself anymore. Whenever I went to work, he had to sleep with mom, you know, and I'm sure. But Joanna felt the same way, that she wanted him there, too. Well, you know, yeah. but worried a little four-year-old worrying that dad's not going to come home right. again you know right so that was really hard to see my little boy so scared you right. know but then other other things started to happen to move it forward that we started to realize that we we did need help and um that he it was okay for him to feel that way you know right. but it was very hard to admit right you know well, and, especially and, being and, so young too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, and I, you know, Brad, I think very often I wonder what would that, my 15 year old son now, what would he be like if this never happened? What if this call never came home and I never got hurt? What would be, what would it be like here? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I sometimes often would love to see, would it be better or would it be worse? You know, would we still be together? Like, what if something else changed our direction? But maybe this direction that we, because of going through this trauma and this loss of two good men and the injuries, uh, maybe it pulled us tighter together and created a bond that is stronger. Yeah. Well, you know? I would. So, I would say, uh, you know, it sounds like. You know your influence on on him and your kids. You know and your and Joanna. You know, showing that first of all you don't give up because uh, for yourself, but you also you know you're not giving up on on each other. And you guys fought through stuff, and you guys battled through your relationship issues, and stayed together. And and they know that they know what's going on. I'm sure. And so hopefully, you know, that influence of you guys being strong and staying strong and fighting through and knowing that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, anything's possible really. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, I would say that's the influence you're having on your kids just on a, yeah, I'm not a counselor well, obviously, but. <laughs> well, again, you're doing a good job with me then. <laughs> no, but just the strength of my wife, uh, you know, the last person you always seem to tell is the person that should hear it, but she's one of those reasons, uh, why I am where I am, yeah. you know, like she's, uh, been a beacon of strength, my, and support, 
you know, and I wish, I, I definitely hope I can be the one doing the same thing for her. But every time I go away to teach or go work with another department, uh, it's hard on the family to yes. leave and my boys and my little girl. And I remember t- telling Noah, my oldest, you know, Noah, I, I'm going away to teach some other dad or mom how to get out so they can get home too. And I said, every time I go, Noah, it helps me become better or want to become better because then if this happens to me again, then I'm, I'm going to feel good about my skills. I'm going to, I'm going to fight to get home to you, buddy. And I, and that's what, you know, I tell him that and not to scare him in any way, but I just want him to know that no matter what we come across at our job, that they, they're the motivate, the motivation to get out. Right. You know, it's not just, just to get out. It's just why, what's my why. Right. right. You know? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about if you want, I know you got to get going, uh, fairly soon, but I want to make sure that we talk about a couple of things. So with you and Joanna, you guys, um, did you go to, so you guys, uh, we were, we're going to talk about the Phoenix society a little bit. Uh, if you know, if you want to go there and how you guys kind of started, uh, getting involved with that, or was it you first or, and then you guys both did it together. And then I know you guys are, uh, you know, I don't know if it's created yet, um, but you're, you know, you do some talks uh, together, um, you know, and uh, maybe you could just kind of elaborate on the Phoenix Society and what you're doing there and then what you guys are doing together and how you're kind of supporting each other. That would be awesome. Yeah, you bet. The uh, So the Phoenix Society is a society for burn survivors and, and a lot of, I know it's a lot of people around the outside of this world outside of the Phoenix Society, uh, usually called burn survivors, burn victims. But it, it was really explained well to me and Joanna because that's how I felt. I was a burn victim. But it was a, you, if you make it, you're a burn survivor. Like right. you've been through something that's, you know. So was, that's one thing that we always talk about is that we became burn survivors. Right. And it was a hard term to learn because I definitely didn't feel like it. I didn't feel good about it wasn't proud of it. and people say you should be proud of your scars and you know because they're so visible right but it, I didn't get that for a while it took years to ex- acknowledge the fact that no I I am comfortable now with becoming a burn survivor and uh, initially right in the in the fall of 2007 right after like six seven uh, six months after the incident the world burn survivor Congress was in Vancouver and that was our first time going to a burn survivor event. So we went like, uh, you know, we had full support from our families. They helped us out and, and helping us get over there from our, our burn center as well. The burn support group, uh, a few people were coming from Winnipeg as well. So we were going there to learn, you know, not really realizing what it was really about. And I was going there as a fireman, not as a burn survivor. I was going there to collect information for the guys in case it happens to them, then I can pass it on to them. I wanted to learn how I can learn from our incident, you know? Right. And when we went there, it was overwhelming. It was like burn survivor, like people with unbelievable burns and thriving, surviving and thriving, that many of them say. 
I went there. I'm like, I don't belong here. I'm like, I just had a, you know, arms and hands and some other stuff going on. And I was like, man, I didn't feel like I should be there at all. You know, cause some of the um, unbelievable stories of survival really blew us away. And that's where we got to meet many of the burn survivors and, and the, uh, the creators of Phoenix society and those that carry this message forward and, uh, really inspired Joanna and I to, really give back from all this help we had like we had tremendous support from our 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 firefighters across the country and especially our department here in my shift and I want to give back because there's there's so many people out there that get sort of missed and and like the people that are in that burn center didn't have the constant visitation that I had and crews bringing food and cookies and you know I always had nurses in my room because I had the best food you know (laughs) You know, from the fire crews bringing stuff. Of course he did, yeah. But then these poor other families were coming with no money or, or just that's all they had. They lost everything in their home and they were the ones we pulled out like the week before. You know, then now I'm in the burn center with the same people that we had pulled out of a house fire the week before. So really, really grounded us in many ways and, and seeing that this is our new, this is a real common phrase, our new normal. Right for the in a burn survivor world, and we were overwhelmed that first time. It was unbelievable that man, this is this is what's going to be like, and wow, like unbelievable stories of inspiration of that we don't have it that bad, and and that's where I think Joanne and I both sort of realized like, oh man, we gotta we gotta start giving back, and and we were so fortunate, like we're truly blessed to have what we had, and like I. It, so it took a little while to recover from just going to that conference. And that's where Joy and I were, we were actually asked from a fellow from New Brunswick. He asked us, he had heard our story, uh, what had happened. And he had asked us if we'd be willing to come out to New Brunswick and speak to their, their conference out there. And Rick DeGruel was a, that fellow and has become a tremendous friend and brother. And we went out and spoke and that was the first time. Joanne and I had ever spoken publicly about it or even like public speaking was new to us and we did it together and it, it changed both of our concept and also changed how presentations are looked at from a, a spousal side because we don't talk about how our spouses feel. We talk about fire incidents. We talk about all this other stuff, tactics, and we never talk about how that call comes home. Right. So that started – that started back in 2007 from Rick's idea of getting us both to speak. So I really give all these um, accolades to Rick for really bringing this forward and having the mindset of saying, you know, well, how did it affect your family? And it was that's Rick's Rick's mindset because Rick goes through the different uh, aspects of how the job affects us as well. He's a huge proponent of. Uh, mental wellness and and peer support and you know things like that so he's a he's a really good friend yeah and that i mean that would make sense i mean if if you're looking at the healing process from a holistic point of view um that makes total sense to have you know the other people in your family you know your wife involved in the healing process which you know is is uh definitely part of the the holistic approach which i believe in and you know healing 
everything, not just one part of one thing that maybe have happened, but it's, you know, to truly heal, I believe, you know, you got to heal holistically, whole body healing, right? And uh, that sounds exactly like, you know, what kind of approach he's taken there. Well, it's it's a start too, because, you know, you in in the moment, in that first year of recovery, you think you have a it's all set. You think okay, you have a f- couple good uh, steps forward, maybe a step back here and there. But you know you're always moving forward. But um, year after year, it seems like okay, man, why is this still coming back? You know, and 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 I'm still we're still trying to figure it out, and it's 11 years later because I don't want to lose uh, this life we have because of those moments in that trauma. I want to build from it. I want to learn from it. I want to become better because of those 10 minutes and, and moments or days and months after. I don't want that incident to rule our life though. Right. And so now that's the, that's what we have to figure out. How do we not get that ruining our future? Right. You know, and that's, that's still a constant, uh, battle and and like Lawrence Gonzalez with deep survival and his book surviving survival is that's the battle of surviving survival you know like how do you get through those moments where there's great stories in his books of people that survive like 20 days on on, on a raft because their boat sank and all these other stories of people that were uh, taken down by an alligator and then this lady she's you know horribly uh, disfigured and not reliving that trauma every single day, you know, where they, 10 years, they make it 10 years, but then all of a sudden they, they commit suicide, you know, because of that trauma. And that's, I don't want that to take over our lives. I don't, I want us to be able to not forget it because it's created the person that we've become. Right. But I want it to become our strength or, you know, I want it to be able to, uh, be a focus on positivity and not and and not relive that negative feeling uh, day after day like some let some do and I want to be able to see how can this event help another firefighter right. uh, their, their 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 spouse their children their their relationships you know where it isn't always going to be a negative you know how can we learn from a horrible event and make it something that we'll, we can give to that family, say, no, we're never going to forget Tom. We're never going to forget Harold for the the man that Harold was and what he did for Lynn and his the father he was for Brian and Chrissy. Uh, how can we instill that honor and integrity of they, the, the men that were, they were, you know, the captains that they were, yeah. and and put it into our our department and also – this this career that no line of duty should go uh, and uh, and be forgotten you know yeah no so that's i mean I, I i think you know that is definitely you know the attitude that you have and what you guys are currently doing to help other people i think is right in line with you know with that and we we definitely need more people in the fire service like you who have that, uh, you know, that attitude and, and just want to, you know, truly help other people. And that's kind of what you guys, 
are doing with the Phoenix Society, it sounds like with the SOAR, you know, part of what you're doing with the SOAR uh, program. And then uh, you guys also are involved with a retreat. And so, yeah, I just, you want to maybe just touch on the SOAR. Yeah, you bet. Um, and and SOAR, program? SOAR, yeah, SOAR stands for Survivors Offering, Offering Assistance in Recovery. So that's not just the burn survivor, but the Phoenix Society really brings us out that a burn affects the whole family and not just the family circle, but it's also the friends or people that have been touched by it. So at these World Burn Congresses, it's really amazing to see the children running around, the spouses, the, the parents even come. And they all have these different classes and sessions that acknowledge the fact that yeah, this is happening, not just to the burn survivor, but to the spouse, the, the brother, the sister, the mom and dad, and, and the children. And they even have a really a special session for We Belong for little kids, like my kids got to go. Right. And and I and work with other kids that were even burn survivor children too. And and that's the same with the, the retreat that we work with for the burn survivor firefighter retreat that we help with for the DC burn Burn Foundation, they started it over 10 or over eight years ago. And luckily I was in that first, first year and it was groundbreaking because all these other firefighters, burn survivors, uh, amputee, amputees, uh, some were medically retired. They're all going through these things and we're all going through the same sort of symptoms and in different, but in different stages, right? right. So everyone was going through different stages, but we all became peers and brothers like you wouldn't believe. Like, like we're like so connected. Some of these guys are, they're my best friends, but they live all over North America and they know and they understand what you're feeling, you know, but in just, we just can sit and talk and chat. And just like the retreat in, uh, at Loon Lake in, in BC that, uh, the BC professional firefighters have come up with Duncan and Dave. Everybody was in that room supporting each other, wanting to help another, but being lifted up at the same time. So right. you just can't replace that. That peer support is uh, such a need in the fire service. It's much more powerful than just the talks around the kitchen table at work. It's something that things came out in that session. Like it was 10 years later yeah. after incident where I actually got – that I never even realized I was doing. Yeah. But they had those uh, clinicians and the psychologists that had the training and, and had an understanding. Of, for one, they had an understanding of the mind, you know, and the process of death and, and processes that we put ourselves through. But Duncan and Dave invested in this program so much that they understood the firefighters, which was a huge proponent in my mind. Because right. then they knew what we were talking about. They understood fire attack. They understood what our jobs were before the session started. So we didn't have to take time to, what do you mean uh, your bunker gear or, you know, SCBA and all that stuff. And they, they were invested. Like you could tell that by their body language and by their, that how they were gesturing and how they were leaning into us. Uh, they cared, you know, even the tears that they shed with us, uh, made it even more powerful of, of those days. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you about, you know, the peer support. But 
the peer support, like you said, um, you know, talking about it around the kitchen table, which is typical in the fire service, um, you know, to deal with trauma and, and things that we, that we see and we go through and the calls we go on, um, you know, that isn't where you do your healing. It's the peer support, like you said, outside of the fire hall environment is where you really have the biggest impact, I believe. And, uh, yeah. you know, I can only speak from my experience at, at, uh, the, at Loon Lake there, but I mean, that's, you know, one of the, you know, I had so many aha moments in that place. So I understand what you're saying for sure about, you know, that peer support is, is, uh, you know, is priceless really. Oh, it's, it's amazing. The, uh, the days were so full of emotion and like we were having that uh, adrenaline dump and just that feeling, you know, and, and, and then after those, on those nights, man, I was exhausted, you know, cause all we were doing is sit around in a circle talking, but after releasing all the, that, those feelings of that I never experienced before, uh, it's amazing how exhausted, like a few of us chatted after, man, we're, those days afterward, it's exhausted after yeah. uh, going through it all together because all those stories that each uh, firefighter shared with us, you were part of it. You were in that incident with him. You were feeling it for him because everyone sort of could understand what they were going through and right. understood that those nor- those feelings were normal. And it could you know, happen but, to them too. That's, yeah, that's yeah, the and, that's, and that's that powerful uh, piece of peer support that – all of us knew that, man, that, I've been to an incident like that, and I can't – I wish he didn't feel so alone. I, I want to be there for them. And, and it was nice to sort of detract and redirect the feelings into someone else, you know, instead of just feeling, okay, this is just about me here. No, it's about the the sharing of that circle that we had and leaning in and taking the load away from them so they didn't feel like they were alone. And Yeah, no, and you know yeah. what? One thing, you know, that I really felt – uh, in that retreat as well. And I, I, I'm, I'm hoping other people felt the same way is, uh, you know, it really helped me, uh, get some compassion back in my life because doing this job, you know, as you know, like you go to all these calls and you're supposed to turn off your compassion and just use your training. And, you know, you see things that, you know, that aren't quote unquote normal and then you're supposed to go home and, you know, turn your compassion back on. And over time, repeated traumas and, you know, day after day after day after day, it doesn't come back. You don't, you're not able to just turn it off and turn it on uh, like you, like you would hope that you would be able to. And I, I found that that, um, that retreat really, and, and hearing the stories from the other people there, uh, the true stories that you could relate to really helped me get uh, some compassion back in my life, which was missing. And so that's, uh, you know, hopefully other people felt that way too. Cause it, it does, it is something that gets lost, especially in our job. But well, that was a, that's a huge point, Brad, like that, that feeling of compassion. Uh, that's, I, I feel the same way. Like, uh, you know, it feels like you had to sort of turn that portion off as soon as you get to work. And, or lose that little piece of yourself of humanity, you know, but that's, I felt the same way. 
you know, uh, yeah. listening to some of the guys and, and, and realizing we have to reconnect, you know, and, and that was such a powerful part, yeah. part of it too, you know, and, and giving, giving that back to those guys or, or gals when they have that feeling of showing that, no, no, I, you can feel a little insecure or weaker at this point because no, let us lift you up. Right. Let us be the, that moment when you need it, let us be your support, yeah. you know, and I hope we can reinforce that within the fire service again of it's okay to have that weak point because it's, it's called a brotherhood or a sisterhood yeah. for a reason. And we should not be the ones that cast each other down and eat our own yeah, just I because mean, someone may be battling and it may be from an incident. It may be from a bad day at home from their spouse or their kids or, or something else has happened in their life that they, they did bring it to work. And, it, and that's, that's human nature, man. That, that happens. And how can we better serve each other rather than just taking care of ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, that's, you know, as you know, just from us talking, but uh, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to kind of chip away at, especially, you know, even, with this podcast, you know, like let's hear some real stories. Let's hear some stories of resilience. Let's hear some stories of overcoming obstacles and let's try and, you know, let people know that it's okay to talk about and that, you know, there's a healing process involved and it takes a long time and it's, you know, it's not easy, but it can be done. And, you know, the, the more we can get the, the message out there and just, you know, have one person who listens to something or hears your story and goes, you know what, I can do this too. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what, what, you know, I, I want to accomplish and what I'm looking for out of this podcast. And, you know, I just, uh, I think, uh, you know, we're almost out of time here, but I just really wanted to kind of maybe ask you just a couple of questions, just kind of off, not off topic, but you know, um, what right now, what do you think, what's, what's the best thing, you know, in your life right now or about your life right now that you're, you know, something you're appreciating or just really notice or, you know, something that because of what has happened, you really, you know, has changed your kind of outlook or something, you know, just anything. What's, what's the best thing about your life right now? If you can answer that it might be a tough question. <laughs> well, it's, it, you know, it, it, it comes to some self-awareness where everything was job, 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 you know, for a couple of years. But now I'm at that point where, you know, I'm starting to go out as an acting Lieutenant and, um, taking courses to become more in the job. I'm realizing that I need, my family even more and my family right now is my everything you right. know no matter what house or cabin or vehicles or trips uh that family unit is why i work right. and what i want to be but i don't want it to be just about my work and then family so that's i really want to focus on becoming the dad and husband that i really want to be and then becoming on the other side really be a good officer that i can lead by example so that's what I'm hoping I can accomplish. Like I'm taking different courses and things like that to promote because uh, we're a seniority based. So it's just basically by seniority, but I still want to be prepared that way. But, uh, you know, 
it's hard sometimes to turn off work. Like, as you know, Brad, to come home and just, okay, now I'm, I'm dad, dad mode or husband mode, but that call resonates or that, you know, not always having symmetry with your department, with what you think it should be happening based on, you know, what I see out in other departments or even my own mindset of what I want to see in this department. It isn't always working together. And unfortunately I don't have that, uh, cooperation or connection with my, my chiefs here. Uh, but I'm guess I'm getting to the point where, uh, as long as I have the trust of my crew, right. you know, uh, I, I am not one that's going to promote to be a chief, but I definitely do want to become an officer in this department. But as long as I have the trust of my crews that I'm not trying to do things just for self, that I did learn something from our incident and that I hope that I can convey that to them, that what, what I, I learned from it that I can show them in some way. Uh, so it doesn't have to happen to them, you know, right. to learn. Yeah. No, so those no, things have become some sort of my passion where I can still be a, a really good dad and husband for my family, but also still be that officer that I need to be when I'm at work. So, you know, I'm trying to learn how can I, how can I have that perfect blend right. of when I'm at work, be at work. And when I'm at home, be at home. So that's a learning curve. I know that many of us battle, but because uh, you're once you're a fireman, it's really hard to turn that fireman switch off. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely, definitely hear you there, man. So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, one more little question. I uh, just want to see, I, I think I might know the answer to this, but uh, just for everyone else, we kind of talked about it, but are, do you have a book or anything that kind of helped you maybe that uh, or a resource that you would recommend for, you know, I know uh, we talked about one person, but I want to see, uh, I won't prompt you. I'll see what you say, a uh, book that you're <laughs> reading or have read or, you know, something that people can pick up and maybe get inspired or, or get some help that, you know, they need. Well, one, like I, I read, a, I have a couple books, unfortunately, I, I have a couple on the go, but. The one that I really enjoy is that, uh, what's your why? You know, your Simon Sinek. That one, uh, I really enjoy. Why are we doing what we're doing? And just because I, I could go back to work, did I need to go back to work? And that's one thing I still actually, I think about. Yeah. Um, so I'm really still looking for my why. What is, what am I looking for in this life that I've been given? You know, I look at, being able to survive the incident, I look at it as a true blessing and a gift I've been giving because I, I spend time talking to Lynn Lassard, Harold's wife, and I don't want them to feel that I I just got it. You know, I, I want to show them that I appreciate the gift of life that I've been given, that I, I still get to be a dad. So. Right. Um, I want to make sure the why is true and right. it's not just, I'm not just a costume party, you right. know, that just showing up for work. I want to and really dedicate time. So that book there, uh, I really like that one. Yeah, that's from, a great book. From, oh, and, and the other one that I really enjoy is that uh, both from Lawrence Gonzalez, uh, Deep Survival, and then the other book based on that one too is Surviving Survival. Uh, really, really helped me in many ways. 
just to understand things a little bit better that uh, I am going through it and, and, and so is my family. So we have to not just pass by it and, and sort of let it pass. I want to get into it. I want to understand it from the beginning and put that puzzle back together. You know, yeah. and I don't, you don't have to do it alone. Right. And that's kind of like the message I think too, with, uh, yeah. you know, those types of resources, it's like, you know, you're in this as a family you came, you know, it happened when you were a family and it's going to stay that way. And it takes a lot of work and, but, uh, you know, it is about kind of surviving the survival and, uh, you know, that's, yeah. uh, and those are great recommendations, man. Well, it's, it's neat. Cause Lawrence, uh, Gonzalez, we did a video video series with him on the mindset of being in a fight or flight situation, the mindset of survival. And that's involved with the Fireground Survival Program, the online program. Yeah. So that's one way firefighters can maybe listen to it a bit and, and understand that, yeah, this, this, what happens to you, it, it's, it is a science of what your brain does and it's predictable. And, but there's ways that you can train your brain to, to control that situation. So I hope that's what some guys can, or some firefighters can get from this too, that this is a trainable, response and we can become better right. and and not let failure rule us anymore we can learn from these failures and and not let this happen anymore and that's the goal i hope uh from these your podcast brad that you now it doesn't have to be on a fire incident it could be how can we become better spouses how can we become better dads or friends of the fire service that we can give back and, and all these little failures that we may experience individually how about we pass it on and say, okay, this is what happened to me and, you know, I needed help or this is what I had to do to get through it. You know, and instead of everyone having to experience the failure, how about we nip it in the butt before it happens and say, yeah, this is happening in the fire service. What can we do to beat it? Well, these are some of the, some of the little ideas that we've had and, and we've had some successes with it, yeah. but also we've had some failures. So let's learn from those yeah. that way too. And, that's where I see the future. I hope of this behavioral health is us actually talking about what did go wrong for true, for real, right. not just the the little stories, you know, like get really into it and, right. and what really happened, you know, like I just, my wife and I, we were not connecting anymore. We weren't together. Right. And, and not many want to talk about what happens at home or, or that their wives are a little nervous about them going back to work or, their kids find out that a firefighter died in another city and they cried when they went to work and not many guys or, fire, or ladies want to talk about it. So right. I hope we can, cause then we can better prepare them for at home. Yeah. You know, so. Well, buddy, I, I think you're one of the amazing people uh, doing amazing work and you know, you're, you're doing uh, what you what you know is right and what you think is right, and you're helping and you're trying to get people um, to live better lives um, through your experiences. And I just think it's an absolutely amazing story. I hope everybody who listens to this can have some takeaways from it. And um, I just wanted to promote something that you might be involved in you guys we kind of talked about it earlier but you're going to be speaking soon 
out here in Vancouver or? Yeah, we'll be coming out to the, the IFF Western Conference in Coquitlam. And Joanna and I will be speaking on June 19th. On with, June 19th, uh, okay. Yeah, Steve Farina is going to be coordinating that with uh, uh, District Vice President Mike Hurley. Nice. And yeah, and, and it's 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 a very different feel of uh, presentation because, you know, we talk about the fire and you know the, we talk about tactics and we talk about that sort of thing. But then all of a sudden, uh, the call came home and, and this – now my wife is going to talk about it, and not everyone is prepared for that, but I hope uh, everyone understands that it's a conversation that might help you in some way. It's not a, It doesn't have to be a negative or right. scare your wife or scare your spouse, but no, that's reality, it's something that – Yeah, and that's and I hope uh, that's what we want people to take away from it is it did happen, but there's some things that uh, we learned along the way and that we almost lost this marriage, but uh, we had to, to fight for it. And, and it is work. It's not something that uh, a lot of people said to us, well, trauma must have really brought your marriage together. Uh, it doesn't. It really, unfortunately, it doesn't. Uh, right. The trauma sometimes can rip your life away. Um, but it does take work, and it took commitment. It took the fact that, okay, I might lose this uh, battle today, but um, we're going to stick together and we're going to work on this. So, yeah. And the biggest thing, Brad, I, I don't want it to come across that, you know, this has been one big success for us and, and we're always, uh, this is awesome. We, Joanna and I still have bad days and, and I still do at work and, and sometimes it takes a lot of work to get back to work and, and that fear is still there once in a while. You know, you had that fire here and there, but we're learning from it and, and I do still make, make mistakes at work. Uh, just in how I respond emotionally to an incident versus thinking through it, you know, with um, how I feel. I wish we were doing things better here, but, you know, it is a process. You know, I'm I'm realizing that I'm going to learn from these mistakes. and I. But as long as I can learn from them and not let them dictate my day, you know, and- where you can still – you still think through it, you know, right. but I'm still learning. Like I still make those mistakes, but I, I really hope that uh, through this, like something like through what you're doing, Brad, man, I, I wish I had the, the cojones to do something <laughs> like what you're doing. Like that's the passion that we need. We need people like you that will take that risk, step outside the box of, of the big red fire truck, you know, and uh, I'm so proud of you, buddy. So, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I just, again, you just kind of following what's, what I feel is right for me. And hopefully along the way I can help some people. And that's kind of the goal with, uh, you know, beyond the big red truck and, uh, yeah, man, I, I just, I believe, you know, it's kind of one little quote that sticks with me after just listening to you. It's, you know, even the last little thing you said there were, you know, you can, make changes or make excuses and you know you're 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 the guy who's making the changes and and helping people and uh you know hopefully we'll do this together and uh you know just be part of a team that just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and uh you know we're just trying to make uh make this world and make the fire service and relationships and all those things you know easier a little bit easier for people to handle and uh you know, your story is amazing and 
I can't wait to share it with everyone. And hopefully, you know, I'd love to have you and Joanna on here together. Hopefully when you guys are out here, we can, uh, we can get together. And, uh, so it's not too far away, but, I uh, just want to thank you for doing this, man. It's, uh, means a lot to me and I'm super excited to, to share this, uh, to share your story. And I, uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So I know you got to go, you got to go pick up, uh, your son there and a uh, big hockey game tonight. Yeah. Big so, game tonight, uh, buddy. Yeah. Right on, man. So, okay, buddy. Well, uh, thanks again. And, uh, we will, we'll definitely talk soon. And, uh, I truly appreciate it, buddy. Oh, you bet brother. And thanks for everything you're doing. And anytime that I can help. And, and if anyone has contact, you, you send out the information and let's work on it together. You're doing a, a great thing here, Brad. Yeah. We're stronger together, man. Oh, right on, man. I remember Yeah, it was my the best thing that's happened in my life was meeting you, uh, the group with you and the rest of the guys. So it was a life changing event. So yeah, me too. Uh, man. I, I will never forget it. So, but no, you're doing great, Brad, and I'm so glad that uh, we can be a part of this. Hey everyone, well we did it, episode two, Beyond the Big Rag Truck podcast. What an amazing experience for me. You know, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Lionel. I hope you enjoyed the messages and maybe learned something from Lionel. You know, the purpose of this podcast is to educate people and show you that we all have a story and we all are going through stuff. And I just want everyone to know that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to to ask for help. And if we can all just slowly start learning that and just start asking for help when we need it and talking about what we're going through and know that it's normal, I think we'll all be better off from it. So I know there's a lot of ums and ahs and okays and pauses in the podcast but I'm working on it I'm working on the post-production and recording and it's all new for me but hopefully you guys can get past that and really be touched by just the conversation and the message that Lionel has of resilience and the amazing ability to overcome obstacles so thanks for sticking around till the end. I'm super excited about the upcoming episodes. And the more episodes we do, the faster we'll get on iTunes and be more easily accessible for everyone. The more we'll share. So please, please, please share this episode. Uh, we're on Podbean right now. And if you're listening, I guess you know that. Share the episode. Spread the word. I'm going to do my best to keep spreading it. Uh, one podcast at a time, one interview at a time, one conversation at a time. And really, I just want the world to be a better place because I was here. So that being said, I hope you stay tuned. I'm Brad, and you've been listening to Beyond the Big Red Truck Podcast. Podcast. <laughs>